And verses 10 through 20 say this. Finally, be strengthened by the Lord and by his vast strength. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil, spiritual forces in the heavens. For this reason, take up the full armor of God so that you may be able to resist in the evil day and having prepared everything to take your stand. Stand therefore with truth like a belt around your waist, righteousness like armor on your chest, and your feet sandaled with readiness for the gospel of peace. In every situation, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Pray at all times in the spirit with every prayer and request and stay alert with all perseverance and intercession for all the saints. Pray also for me that the message may, may be given to me when I open my mouth to, take, to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. For this, I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I might be bold enough to speak about it as I should. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, Open my heart to hear your word this morning. And Lord, help me to recognize that my life exists within a battlefield. And that the reality is that I need to be prepared for what is to come. Help me consider and then to put on your armor this morning, Lord, as you send us. Lord, I pray for the gospel conviction within the hearts of our church this morning. And I pray that we would be warriors in humility and love, that we would be ambassadors in your praise, that we would fight knowing that you have already won. God, I know, I know that you are good. I know that you are kind and I know that you are so much more. Lord, there are people in this world who do not have that comfort. There are people who do not know. Lord, I pray, I pray wholeheartedly. I pray passionately, I pray desperately. I pray expectantly and faithfully this morning that you would reveal yourself to the lost Lord, I pray that you would come again. Lord, 
Until that day comes, Father, I pray that we would take up our arms and live for you. And I pray this morning that we would be poured into in this effort. Lord, I pray for Jacob this morning as he comes to speak your word. Move through him, Lord. Fill him and bring him to speak your words. Help him to trust you. And help him to know that you are good. It is in the mighty name of Jesus Christ who deserves all glory and all praise, who has guided my life, who leads me to love, that I pray these things. Amen. You may be seated. church family. We're going to do a quick test and see if I have any control here. I do not. Hey, Kevin. Do you want to see if we can get control there? Yeah. Okay, sweet. Awesome. Thank you. I was uh, telling what I th- who I thought was Cameron. Turned out it was actually uh, it was actually Timothy. Oops. Didn't look who was standing next to me. I have a sincere love and hate relationship with technology. Hey, I'm loving it right now. Okay. All right. Good morning. We're going to be in Ephesians 6 today. This has been uh, a very encouraging study, um, and it's been a very difficult week, and I wholeheartedly believe that the Lord has used that for the preparation of this sermon. So, this is a separate series than what we were doing. Can can, uh, you bring me down just a little bit on the mic? So, Dad had been going through a series on Koinonia of church fellowship, community, And this is a a separate series, but really, I just kept getting hit at the beginning of this week that this is as a continuation of that in a different passage. So I want to bring up the definition of koinonia that, that Dad put together for us. Koinonia is deep, self-revelatory, self-sacrificing covenant relationship within the ecclesia, the church, the gathering, the assembly, established by the effectual call of the Father into unity with Christ, based on the atoning work of Christ, and then expressed in the same kind of unity with each other as we hear, respond to, and live according to the gospel. And as you heard read, you, as you heard read, we're in Ephesians 6. So let's read that one more time. Finally, be strengthened by the Lord and by His vast strength. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heavens. For this reason, take up the full armor of God so that you may be able to resist in the evil day and having prepared everything to take your stand. And we're going to stop right here with verse 14. Stand therefore with truth like a belt 
around your waist. And that, verse 14, is where we're going to be today. And we're going to be focusing on truth. Now, as we look at truth, it's typically something that we think of as an individual purpose. Um, But I want us to look at this through a focus of this letter being written to the church, to the gathering in Ephesus. So this is not something that is specifically for us alone in our Bible study, but this is something that we engage in together. I told you this has been a really tough week. One of the reasons that this has been such a difficult week is because it's possibly been the busiest week in the past year for me. And so I went into this week knowing that sermon prep was was coming and and realizing, oh my gosh, why did I say yes, I could preach? (laughs) Like, I have got so much going on. And I just prayed, and I was like, Lord, I don't, I'm not going to be able to put as much into this as I want in terms of time. Just because I'm looking at everything that's scheduled out this week, I will do my absolute best to honor you with this. But Lord, would you please give me an extra grace this week? And we then had dinner with the spitters, and then we had an old high school teacher of mine over, and we had dinner with them the next night, and then I had conversation with Cameron, and in all of these conversations, I'm not even, I'm not, I'm not making this up, the Lord was just giving me things for this sermon, and I was like, Lord, you answered my prayer, and not only that, but then you demonstrated how our pursuit of truth happens within the ecclesia, within others, with, within us as a group. And that's what I really want us to focus on. But before we get there, let's review real quick on what the purpose of truth is. So I don't think that this slide is going to be up here. And in fact, I don't think most of my slides loaded from the computer, but that's okay. Um, because we're just going to roll with it. But we do, have, we do have this. We'll get to that in a second. But first, we're going to look at 2 Thessalonians 2.13. So please turn there with me. This is a review. And Kevin, if you want to try to reload these slides to see if we can get the rest of them up there, that would be great. But if not, we're going to keep going. So the last time that I preached, and again, this is 2 Thessalonians 2.13, the last time that I preached... Um, I had the opportunity for us to look at this idea of proper belief, thank you, of of truth, essentially. And so I just, what a a beautiful thing that we're coming right off of a, a study of truth and proper belief into another study on truth. And so we look at this. 2 Thessalonians 2.13, But we ought to thank God always for you, brothers and sisters, loved by the Lord, because from the beginning, we've got God has chosen you. So he's chosen you for salvation. That didn't go on regardless. So he's chosen you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and through belief in the truth. So we see he's chosen you. Okay, we've got that. But how did he do it? He, one of the, the tools that he used for that is truth. And if you'll remember when we looked at this passage last, the, the big thing that I was coming at with you was this, this worry that especially I have had in my life of how do I know that I'm right? How do I know that I've got these doctrines right? I know I can't be right on everything, but what about the key pieces? Do I have those right, right? The things that are necessary for salvation. You can't, there, there are certain doctrines that you cannot ignore and still believe in the person of Christ and the, the triune God who saves. But what we found here is that truth is a prerequisite for salvation, right? So the Lord uses proper belief to save us. So then if we are truly saved, we don't need to freak out every time we're wondering whether we believe everything that we should, though we also need to hold to pursuing truth. So we don't don't use that as a, an excuse for laziness. So we've got it to tool in salvation, 2 Thessalonians 2.13. Again, this is all, what is the purpose of truth? And then we, we come to, to Ephesians 6, 10 through 13. And we look at, 
at, at a couple things here. So let's go. Let's go through this. Finally, be strengthened by the Lord and by his vast strength. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. Okay, so we're going to, we've got that right there. We're going to see if this works this time. I think it is. Nice. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heavens. You'll remember dad went through this passage last week and, and pointed out our enemy is not each other. Our enemy does not wear flesh. For this reason, take up the full armor of God. You see how much of an emphasis this is from Paul. We're going to flip back to that last one. So he says in verse 11, put on the full armor of God. Verse 13, put on the full armor of God. Take up the full armor of God. So we really need to pay attention to this. It's something that we must do. And again, he repeats himself, so that you may be able to resist in the evil day and having prepared for everything to take your stand. And then that brings us, of course, into verse 14. Stand, therefore, with truth like a belt around your waist. So truth, another purpose of truth that we're seeing is it's a, it is a weapon against the authorities and the principalities of darkness. It is something that Paul is saying, hey, you need this. Oh, by the way, you need this. So it is, it is not just this ethereal, static thing, but it is a weapon that we use. And then finally, we see in John 14, 6, Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So truth is also an aspect of how we view God. He is truth. So it is a tool in salvation. It's a weapon against the enemy. And it is part of the essence of the Father. He is truth. Have you ever thought about why truth is so under attack in our society? I mean, that is such a flashpoint. And, and of course, you've heard the relativistic term, well, that's my truth. I'm going to believe my truth. And so in the same society that we have degraded truth into it is everything, and so therefore truly nothing is truth, it's also become such an important piece of people's beliefs inside of the church and outside of the church. What is true? What is right? And we see that even in saying that there is no truth, like I said, right? That is in itself a truth, right? You can't say there is no truth. There's no absolute truth without making an absolute statement. But if the above is true, if it's a tool in salvation, if it's a weapon against the enemy, and if it's an embodiment, if the Lord himself embodies this, of course it is something that the enemy is going to latch onto and is going to attack. And so therefore, we get to the first question, how do we handle the truth? Specifically, how do we handle the truth together as the church? To answer this question, I believe that there are there is a subset of questions we have to look at. The first is how do we pursue the truth together? The second is how do we handle deviations from the truth together? So within the body, how do we deal with disagreements of varying degrees? And then finally, how do we respond to outsiders, outsiders regarding the truth together? So if you're taking notes, this is where we're going. How do we pursue the truth together? How do we handle deviations from the truth together? And how do we respond together? So let's look at the first one, and it'll pop up a couple times if you didn't get all that. How do we pursue truth together? Dad actually brought up this verse, Acts 2.42. So let's look at that together, and we're going to look at 42 through 46. They devoted them—so this is— this is the early church right after Christ has ascended. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now all the believers were together and held all things together in common. So we see that commonality that's going through, that togetherness. 
They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. And then here's verse 46, which I want us to hone into. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts. So part, and again, this is a passage that dad used to look at when we were talking about how do we define define koinonia? How do we define this fellowship? And we see that there's a devotion, right? They're holding everything in common. But one of the things that they're doing together is they're meeting together in the temple daily, right? They're praying together. They're They're hearing the word read together. They're pursuing truth together. And it got me thinking, what would it look like as part of our koinonia, as part of our fellowship, if we were devoted to the word together? And this is is not uh, a group of spiritual commands here or scriptural commands. But just as I got through thinking, if we were radically devoted to, to meeting together in the temple. So that means we're going to do it regardless of how we feel. We're going to pursue this truth together. What might that look like? And this is not a list of things that we have to do to be right with God. It's not even things that Scripture necessarily commands us to do. But I want us to think through our week, what that would look like to be devoted together. I think it starts with Sunday morning, so let's start there. I think before we come together to pursue truth, it is pursuing truth individually, centering ourselves in the Lord. So typically we call that our devotion, right? I know I've, I've always had this, this thought of, well, it's Sunday. I don't really need to read the Bible on my own because I'm going to get it in church. But it's those, it's those mornings that I have gotten up a little bit earlier and sought the Lord on my own that I have been most fruitful in in discussion with fellow believers throughout the day, but also that I have experienced the Lord's joy the most as I am centering myself in Him. And then it's getting up a little earlier, and, and maybe I go to Sunday school, right, where there are conversations around the Word of God and engaging one another and asking questions and being led into the deeper truths of the Lord. And then it's coming out of that time and, and coming into this, the sermon, right? And it's not just zoning out and, and tuning out, but it's engaging in that as well. So it's engaging in discussion in the early morning. It's dis- engaging in notes and thinking through questions and how does this apply to my life, right? And this takes work, It's not something that we're going to do passively. I started Greek last week in seminary, so obviously I know everything um, because that's what seminarians do. They, They think that they know everything. But nonetheless, one thing that my professors have said over and over and over and over again, and I've been thankful every single time, learning Greek is hard work. Any language you learn is hard work. It's something you have to labor in every single day. And it's not always going to be fun, right? When I started, I was so excited, right? Like I was writing the alphabet on the whiteboard. You can ask my wife. I was like, oh my gosh, this is agape. Like I see that. And now just a weekend, I'm like, good grief. This is really hard. And I haven't even gotten to conjugations and everything. We've just been doing pronunciations. So it's difficult work and I don't always feel like it. And again, guys, I can't emphasize enough. It's been five days right? Five days, and I'm already, like, winded from this. But I've got that my eye on the end goal of I really want to be able to read the original languages. I really want to be able to pursue the truth. And so I'm going to commit myself to studying it this day after day after day. And the number of times that I've come into a Sunday morning for a sermon and been like, man, I just want to tune out. It's Sunday. It's been a long week. This takes work. But the way, if we are devoting ourselves to truth, it means engaging together in this time. And then maybe it, going back to our our day, maybe it then goes to lunch, right? The young adults, we get together for lunch every week and we discuss. And sometimes it's on things that went on in the sermon. Sometimes it's on the silliest things that we saw this week. I mean, it it really, if you've you've never been there during those conversations, it, it ranges from one end of the spectrum to the other. 
But what if we got together with each other after church and engaged? Or not even that, but what if with your family, right? Whether it's with kids or just a spouse or whatever it may be, you're just engaging. Hey, what, did, what really stuck out to you? Again, this is hard work, right? And then we go to the midweek. It's getting together with people outside of church, outside of this, this Sunday time, and it's studying together and discussing a question, when was the last time you had someone over specifically to study the word? Like for a question that you had. I have not done this nearly enough, but one time that I did do this recently, uh, I had been engaging with some people who were proselytizing, who were, were sharing a false gospel downtown. And so I struck up a conversation with them. And I realized that the points they were, that it was just the theological issues they were coming up with was, it was just so core to Christianity, and I was like, come on. I've known that since Miss Lois' Sunday school class. Like, I could tell you everything about this. And then I started engaging with them, and they were bringing up these questions, and I was like, so maybe my understanding of this key tenant is not as strong as I thought, is not as prepared for the questions they had. And so I called one of my dearest friends— And he came over, and we just spread out the commentaries and the study Bibles on the floor, and we just spent the next two hours going through the scriptures to answer these questions, because neither one of us knew how. And it was one of the most fruitful and beautiful times, because I had this question I couldn't answer, and the quickest way to start wandering out of orthodox theology, out of what the church has held true and what scripture holds true, is to do it by yourself. Right? Dad's always said, a lone ranger is a dead ranger. And so when we start going even through scriptural issues by ourselves, it gets dangerous. So engage with people when you have questions. And then finally, how about Saturday night? I know T.J. Zinke, who was a, an elder here, if you didn't know him, wonderful guy, um, moved to Indiana recently to, to go be a professor there. But nonetheless, he had thrown out the idea to me in a, a conversation he, Dad, and I were having of, it's been said that to have a fruitful Sunday morning that starts on a Saturday night, right? Starting to prepare your mind to pursue Scripture, getting to bed on time. Oops, right? Like, it, it's something that our whole lives are centered around pursuing truth together. And so again, this is not to bring shame if you don't do this well. I don't do this perfectly. Stephen is in nursery right now, but he could tell you the number of times that I've, you know, waltzed into Sunday school like 30 minutes late. It's not something I do great, but it's something that if we can be engaged together, what would our lives and our communal lives look like? And then finally, it's reminding each other. This, is, this flows back in the midweek. This is something that, that Faith and I have gone over quite a bit in our, our family worship. But listen, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These words that I am giving you today are to be in your heart. Repeat them to your children. Talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Bind them as a sign on your hand and let them be a a symbol on your forehead. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your city gates. The truth of God, the word of God, is something that we are to remind each other, sometimes even awkwardly. Right, just, hey, this is a you know, weird moment to bring this up in my mind, but have you just thought about the beauty of God today? Man, what have you been, what have you been going through in your personal studies? What's been really hitting you? I and mean, part of that means that we need to be engaging with each other outside just this room. And it's something I believe that we can aspire to and strive towards. Which brings us to the second question. How do we handle deviations from the truth? Now, all of this, I mean, I had, I think, like four words to go over in this verse, right? Like, stand firm with with truth like a belt around your waist, right? That's more than four. But nonetheless, that's not a lot. And yet, Looking at truth in Scripture is one of the most expansive topics that you could possibly have. So this, and and none of this is an exhaustive list. I'm sure that there are ways that we can be dedicated to pursuing truth together outside of what I went over. 
And, and there also are, are nuances to handling deviations from the truth, right, that we don't have time to cover here, nor do I have the, the um, ability, knowledge to cover. But there are a couple good guideposts, I believe, for us. And so specifically when we talk about, oh, did I just, wow, I was trying to clear my screen and I just scribbled. Okay, good. <laughs> Um, so specifically when we're talking about deviations, right? This is within the church body. Matthew eighteen fifteen through 20 is always a good guidepost for church discipline. And so this is just a, something I want to put out there, and then we're going to move into to some filters to run through. If your brother sins against you, go tell him his faults between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have won your brother. But if you won't listen, take one or two others with you, so that by the testimony of two or three witnesses, every fact may be established. If he doesn't pay attention to them, tell the church. If he doesn't pay attention even to the church, let him be like a Gentile and a tax collector to you. So that's what we would call excommunication, right? We are, so we're removing them from the community, from the common, from the ecclesia, and from the experience of koinonia. Now, this is saying if your brother sins against you, but this absolutely applies to divisiveness within the body as well. A very good model for that. You don't just go, man, you're, you know, you're like a home plate umpire. You're out of here. You know, but it, it is also not something that you just leave alone. Right? We have to deal with these issues within the church. That being said, I believe that there are some filters that we should run through. Again, there is so much nuance and, and wisdom and love and grace that must be had in these situations. But I do want to, write, to, to go through some filters that I think are very helpful. So the, the first is, what is the doctrinal significance of the deviation? So the first question that we need to ask to make sure that we handle this well how important is this? And we can say all doctrine is important. I would agree truth is important. We want to pursue truth like in Psalm 119, of love the Lord's word. None, but that being said, we can very quickly become like the Pharisees and just trying to divide every single portion of Scripture and enforcing it like it's all on the same level of importance. Yes, it's all Scripture, but it is all, not all enforced the same way or even at all. Let's look at Romans 14.5. One person judges one day to be more important than another. Someone else judges every day to be the same. Let each one be fully convinced in his own mind. Right. So this is talking about festivals and how much of Jewish culture and customs do we bring in. Right. So this is what what Paul is dealing with with the church in Rome. And he's saying, hey, whoa, 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 whoa. This is not something to be divisive over. There should, in in the church in Rome, there there was a heavy uh, Gentile population, as we would expect, in the capital of the greatest Gentile empire of the time, if not ever. And then there was also a heavy Jewish population, right? So, so those who were Messianic Jews, they believed in Christ, but they had walked in Judaism. And so there was a lot of divisions. How much applies? And Paul's saying, hey, that's not important in the sense that you need to be divided over it. Now, does he say, don't worry about it at all? No, he says, let each one be fully convinced in his own mind. So it's not something that should lead to division, and yet something that also these people should be, these Christians should be tuning into their conscience, being led by the Holy Spirit, tuned into the scriptures and the teachings that they were being given. And so it's not something we just ignore, but if I start fighting with a brother over, no, this day is the day that you are supposed to rest, this day, or you're even supposed to rest, like completely, right? If I start getting into these things and I say, I can't, I can't deal with you, or, you know, you're, you're, you're not saved or whatever, like get out, that's, I'm in sin. I'm just, I'm straight up in sin. And Scripture is very clear about that. You remember Cameron's sermon on uh, last time he preached on unity, which is a very impactful message, right? Church unity is something that we're to pursue, 
but there are other levels as well. And so there's, this would be a level of there's not a need for correction. There's a need to be convinced in your own mind. But then I also believe that there is a, a place, a second level of there is a need for instruction, but not necessarily the same level of alarm as other issues may bring up. And so if you'll remember Paul's instructions to the Philippians all throughout that letter, or the, the Thessalonians, right? He, he yeah, sorry, sorry, the Thessalonians, right? They're concerned with, have we missed the resurrection? Like, is Christ already raised? Are we, are we, you know, and they're freaking out because of all of these issues. And it's not necessarily something that, right, their belief is, is to that level of doctrinal significance that it's like, okay, I don't know if you can hold to this and still be saved, right? So he's not, he's not rebuking them, but for their sake and the sake of truth, he is correcting them. Hey, whoa, 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 whoa. Let's take a breath. That's not what's going on here, right? And so there is an instance, uh, a need for correction, but not necessarily rebuke. And then third, and this will hopefully give a little bit more clarity to the second as well, there is error that breeds death or error that is associated with death. So let's look at Galatians 1, 6 through 9. Now, for the youth, I'm not going to ask you to shout it out. I really was tempted as I was prepping. But what do you have? Actually, I'm going to ask anybody who shouts it out, what do you have written at the top of your Bibles in Galatians in handwriting? Anybody? Boom. Exactly. Thank you, Eleanor. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Because what the Galatians were dealing with was this heresy that you had to follow these Jewish customs, you had to be circumcised and do all these things so that you would be saved, right? Which goes directly into opposition of what Paul said in Romans 14, 5, that everyone be convinced. But he's saying these, these people were adding to the requirements of salvation, the things that, that the Lord has used to bring salvation to his people, and it was a heresy, and this is exactly what He said to them, I am amazed that you are so quickly turning away from him who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another gospel, but there are some who are troubling you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached, a curse be on him. As we have said before, I now say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you have received, a curse be on him. And I'm just going to, wow, I'm still on the eraser. I'm just going to underline these, right? He says it twice, and it's something that we need to understand has extreme importance. While there are some things that are taught that Paul's like, hey, be convinced in your own mind. Okay? Everyone be fully convinced. Care about it. Explore the mind of God. There are other things where Paul says if anybody preaches to you something contrary than the gospel of Jesus Christ, may he be cursed or anathemized, or may he be cut off from the fellowship of God and the love of God. 2 Peter 2.1 There were indeed false prophets among the people, just as there will be just as there will be among you. Where did that go? Oh my goodness. Okay, one second. Just as there will be false teachers among you. They will bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who brought them, and will bring swift destruction on themselves. And then I'm not going to read it for the sake of time, but First Timothy 6.3 says the same thing, right? There is a, a weight of teaching that brings destruction on people and breeds death. But then there's another question that I think we need to ask within this as we're looking at, at how to, to deal with false teaching, specifically what we would call heresy. Right, and this would be heresy. So, a um, 
destructive heresy, something that gets at the heart of salvation, right? So Jesus, for example, is not, is not God incarnate, or God, there are many gods, or anything that's getting at the heart of God and salvation, and it's, there's not a hard-line definition. There are disagreements among scholars or more of like a nebulous consensus and different ways of looking at it. But one thing that, that a scholar, Michael Horton, says that is, is important is there is a difference that's been made throughout history of what's called formal heresy and material heresy. And so, losing those terms, we need to look at the intent of the person who is speaking a divisive or heretical statement. Is the purpose to divide? Is the purpose to attack orthodox or right Christianity and theology? Or is it just ignorance? Is it, is it genuinely a lack of, of knowing what is right? I certainly don't have everything right in my theology and doctrinal beliefs. And we have to understand that none of us do. Not a single person in this room, I would argue quite confidently, knows the mind of God to the extent that on this side of heaven, you've got everything correct on your list, right? Which should breed humility, should breed grace. And so if there is specifically, this would be something that, we would probably engage with one-on-one, but if there's, it would then go to the elders, right? And so one of the questions is, how teachable is the person? Is it, is it arrogance of, no, this is right, this is right, this is right? Going very clearly against Scripture, very clearly against Orthodox Christianity? Or is it a teachable thing? And maybe even, I really think that this is right. But would you show me what you, why, where you're getting this? Would you show me why you believe this? Right? That's a very important thing in the way that we respond. to. Like Just because someone says something that we believe is very off base doesn't mean that we you know, respond with thunder and lightning. There's a point where we protect especially the body, but we've got to be filtering through these different questions. And so going back to Michael Horton, you know, there's a difference, he says, between intentional heresy and basically heresy out of ignorance. And we need to have the same thinking in mind and work together as a body, as a group, to figure these things out. But our last point, as we bring this to a head, to a conclusion, we've looked at how we pursue truth together, how we respond to deviations from the truth together, so number three, how do we respond to outsiders regarding the truth? Right? So this is people who don't even profess the name of Christ. They don't even pretend to be a Christian. Right? But they are, they are outside the church. I believe that we see a difference in the way that the apostles treated people inside the church and outside the church. And even when I say inside the church, I mean those who profess to be believers, right? Like there is, there is a significance for inside this, this local expression of the body, but even those who claim to be Christians, who claim to hold to truth and yet are, as, as Paul would say, are false teachers, are just smearing the name of the Lord and have no shame in doing so. There's a a different response to them. But how do we deal with those who are outside of that? I think 1 Corinthians 5, 9-13 is helpful in this. I wrote to you in a letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. I did not mean the immoral people of this world or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters. Otherwise, you would have to leave the world. I love Paul's logic couple rhetorical jokes in there. Gotta love it. Verse 11, but actually I wrote to you not, to not associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or sister and is sexually immoral or greedy, an idolater or verbally abusive, a drunkard or a swindler. 
Do not even eat with such a person. For what business is it of mine to judge outsiders? Don't you judge those who are inside? God judges outsiders. Remove the evil, the evil person from among you. That is a critical distinction that we need to have. We are absolutely to have a high valuation of truth and a protection of those who are in the church and the integrity of the Word of God. And sometimes that means we have to deal very sternly with those who claim to be a Christian and yet are either in this case sexually immoral or greedy and there's just no repentance there. And you've gone through the Matthew 18 steps of one-to-one, going to the elders, going to the church, right? All of these things, and there's no repentance. We can't stand for that because Scripture does not allow us to stand for that. The Lord does not allow us to stand for that. If we remove them from among us, and so there's a different focus, but when it comes to outsiders, it's not about condemning. I know Dad preached on this a couple of years ago at this point, but it was something that really stuck with me of, of the difference of, of the way that the word judge is used in the New Testament where Jesus says, don't judge, and then Paul says judge, right? But we are not to, to proclaim condemnation against people, to say you are, like those who are outside of the church, right? To try to take God's robe, his justice, his justice robe and his gavel and say, sorry, you don't, you don't deserve it. You don't. Are we to say, if you continue in this, you are not going to be with the Lord? You are, going to, you, you are going to go straight into destruction? Absolutely, right? But we make very clear this is not me who is making this decision. I am warning you, please come to the Lord. And in the same way, of course we should expect those who are outside of the church to hold views that are completely de- deviant of truth. Do we just stand by and you know, say, well, hey, you know, whatever you believe, you know, it's cool. Just vibe with that. No, Paul didn't do that. Paul engaged as an apologist and an evangelist, and he went and he, en- he engaged with the thoughts of the time. Think about him in, in Athens where he said, hey, I see there are a lot of gods here. Let me tell you about the God who, who tr- truly is. Right? All throughout Acts, and we just see the gospel going out. We engage with, believer, with unbelievers, and we even have to say, hey, this is not right. And here's the result of this. But we engage with love and not with a didactic, heavy-handed approach that we may have to take at times within the church. It's something we should expect and yet not accept in the sense that we don't say anything because we're called to say something. Human anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. I think we would do so well to hold in one hand a high valuation of the truth and the other hand remembering human anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. Again, this is not an exhaustive list of exactly what to do. Ten steps, wikihow, you know, dot com. Ten steps of how to respond to deviations from the truth, how to pursue truth. But are, are things for us to be thinking through that I believe Scripture gives us And so I just want to lay that before you. My prayer, my sincere hope is that this will not end here because just like if I, you know, picked up Greek once a week or in class, I'd be in real real trouble and you'd be seeing me sweating bullets every time I walked in on a Sunday morning because I wouldn't be getting any of it. And it's hard work to truly take something and, and learn it and apply it to the point where I can then use it without even thinking about it. And at the same time, brothers and sisters, this is hard work to devote ourselves to the pursuit of truth. But let's do it together because a lone ranger is a dead ranger and God has designed us to pursue Him, the truth, in community. Let's pray. Dear Lord, You are so good. 
And the only way that I can know that is because you have revealed truth to us. You have told us what is right. And Lord, there are some things that you have not revealed to us, that you have seen fit to either conceal from us entirely or to allow us to dig and come to different conclusions and be convinced in our own mind of what is right and what what we should do individually, Lord. And God, I thank you that you still call us to unity in that. Lord, may we have a high valuation of the truth. May we pursue it with everything we've got as we pursue you with everything we've got, which means that we pursue it in love. Lord, help us know when to take a stand, how to take a stand, who to take a stand. And Lord, give us an incredible love for those who don't know you, that we may pray for their salvation and pray that we may be a means that you use to accomplish that. Father, please fill us with the Spirit and guide us in worship. Please bless this beautiful, wonderful congregation, Father, full of people I love so dearly and who you love even more. In Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. As we consider these things this morning, let's come to our feet and close with the song, a reminder of uh, truly the hope found in the, the glorious truth of who Jesus is, what he has done. Whatever struggle, whatever strife, whatever confusion, whatever doubt that faces you this day, it is not more than him. He is greater than all these things. We take that great hope. We rely on his word. And as the psalmist says in Psalm 130, I will wait for the Lord. I will wait. And I'll put my hope in his word. I wait for the Lord more than the watchman for the morning. Indeed, more than the watchman for the morning.